Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm good, thank you. Yes. Given the topic today, I've yes. been thinking about something. Okay. So if this, so I'm not going to tell people what the topic is because I'm going to let them guess from my intro. Oh, okay. Mm. Right. So yeah, this is picture, a new feature. A picture, new feature if for... you will, the scene. A room is dark and there are nine people on one side and one person on the other side of the room. <clears throat> There is a knock on the door and someone says, I've come with the shadow docket. What's <laughs> on it, you ask? Only the shadow knows. I, that's what I hear when I hear the shadow docket. I hear one of those episodes where they tell you, you know, like, remember the old radio shows where they told you what was happening? Sir, put down that gun. I dare you not to shoot me, right? Like kind of thing, because you wouldn't know that's what was happening because you were listening on the radio. That's how I picture J-Rob and the shadow docket is him with his trench coat and his hat, right? And like in a half lit room being all stealthy and stuff. Is that even remotely close? Uh. <laughs> Tell me that he at least when he releases this stuff does it in a trench coat and a and like a fedora. Uh, well, we don't know because typically it is the United States Supreme Court's press office <laughs> that goes ahead and releases the orders from the shadow docket. Okay, uh, but because so much of the work of the Supreme Court is not known by the public, okay it could easily comply with the scenario that you just described, right? Um, and in fact, that's part of the explanation slash critique of the Supreme Court shadow docket, okay, is that it is a docket that doesn't follow, okay, the Supreme Court's normal procedures in deciding a case, right? Okay, so um, normal procedure, I, my, I put in a case, right? Like I appeal to the Supreme Court yeah. and I say, Augenbaugh was mean to me and I want you to fix it. And, and they take the case and then junior minions write briefs for them so that they understand the points of it. And then they do a bunch of research and then they come back with their, their opinion and they vote. And then somebody gets told to write the the actual opinion for the group and somebody gets told to write the dissent or, or excuse me, people write dissents if they don't like, or they write concurrences if they like the answer but not the reasoning and there's all kinds of drama and then you're done. This is not that kind of normal process. thing, right? Yeah, so, so I mean- is this even a- So typically listeners, as Nia just described it, Let's say you're an individual and you feel as though the government uh, did something wrong to you. Um, and in the lower courts, you lose. Um, so you file an appeal. Um, and the Latin phrase is writ of certiorari. Uh, uh, it's abbreviated to cert writ. So you file a cert writ. And all it is is an appeal. 
See so, last summer's SCOTUS, summer of SCOTUS, because we discussed all of that in rather strong detail. That's right. So uh, the court um, uh, uh, will first have their clerks review all of these appeals and recommend to the justices which one should be heard. Um, four out of the nine justices have to agree to take a case. So let's say four justices say, Nia, you are right. John Augenbaugh, said government official, violated one of your constitutional rights. And four of us want to go ahead and, you know, hear this case, sink our teeth. Stick into it to it. the man. Okay. Except they haven't decided yet whether they're going to stick, because you may be right. You may have been that, right to be mean to me. I yeah, may have been right. doing something that was pooky, and yes. it was totally right for you to say, stop doing that. Okay. So then uh, the court um, uh, sets up. Uh, a timeline for Nia, your attorney, me, and my attorney to file written briefs, okay? That's usually when the clerks of the justices then write up uh, uh, a case memo so the justices, okay, get to know all of the background about this particular case, all of the relevant rulings, any of the interest, interesting academic literature about this topic. Then there's oral arguments, and then afterwards they take a vote, right? You know, six of the justices believe, yes, I was a bad person and I violated Nia's civil liberties, right? So if the chief justice is in that six justice majority, he signs a majority opinion, okay? If he isn't, okay, the senior most associate justice assigns the opinion, okay? The justices write all their opinions. When all the justices are done, then the court, okay, releases the court's ruling. That's the normal process, right? The shadow dog. And this process is like birthing a baby. It takes several months. Sure. Okay. To get to this process. This is not a short. No. Like it's okay. not an emergency. You can't get an emergency ruling through this kind of. No, because typically. This kind of process. I mean, what you're talking about is a multi-month thing. Well, and then also think about too that it could be a multiple multiple year process, right? Because you know, you know, Nia, at some point, I allegedly harmed you, right? And then you have a court case, and then you have appeals, and chances are what I did to you or what you alleged I did to you is happening across the country, right? So right. other courts have looked at this issue. Right. So we have this very public, you know, if you will, germination of a legal or constitutional issue. Which becomes a point of like, like I've noticed it's about you as a judicial scholar and especially as a scholar of the Supreme Court. Rarely. Uh, in fact, I cannot think of a circumstance in the years that I've known you, have you been surprised by the court? Like, That's you correct. know what's happening at the court. You may be surprised by a ruling. Oh, it turns out they, you know, like the whole J-Rob with the, with the ACA a couple of years ago, you were like, oh, that's an interesting take, right? Because it was about, I think, taxes, wasn't it? Yes. 
yes. something like that, right? Like it was a whole interesting take on it, but you're not surprised because a lot of those things have been working their way through the system, which is why people who watch the court can say, this year they're going to decide whether to take a case on guns because 15 cases have come through and one of those might be interesting to them. Like, it's not a surprise. Like, you don't suddenly show up at the Supreme Court. Like, yeah. ta-da! Like a magician. Yeah, right. You pull a rabbit out of a hat and say, here I am. Like, that's not a thing, ever. Yeah, right? I mean, because, you know, generally one of the criticisms of the federal courts in the United States is that these cases and these constitutional legal issues, Nia, take forever to get resolved. Yes, right? and to people who say that, I counter with go to India and try to have a legal case. <laughs> where people inherit them from their parents. Yeah, so, right. I mean, yeah, right. But, but you know, that's the, generally the criticism. But the subject of this podcast episode, listeners, um, is a phenomenon known as the shadow docket. You know, thus, thus Nia's, um, um, uh, at least for us, unusual beginning, okay? Dramatic um, retelling, I like to think. Yes, dramatic retelling, <laughs> right? Uh, the concept of the shadow docket is actually um, a relatively new one. Um, and uh, um, a constitutional law scholar, uh, and he's a law professor at the University of Chicago, uh, uh, Will Bod, okay, um, uh, wrote in 2015 of what he called the shadow docket. And the way he defined it is a range of orders and summary decisions that defy the Supreme Court's normal procedural regularity. Okay. So 2015, that's only six years ago or so. That's, that's not six years ago. And what so this is uh, not a practice that's gone on for 200 years since we first had the Supreme Court? Oh, no, it's been going on the entirety of our country's history. Oh. But Body's point, okay, uh, uh, Will Body's point is that the shadow docket <clears throat> uh, was becoming uh, uh, a kind of sort of regular occurrence. Um, the number of decisions that comprise the shadow docket was going up, okay? Um, so to give you an example of a case on the shadow docket. Yeah, how does okay. the shadow docket work? Okay, so think about this, okay? Uh, during the pandemic, um, the state of California, uh, the governor of California issued a number of emergency executive orders so that um, uh, the the number of COVID-19 cases in California could be better managed, okay? Um, could be, you know, under, put under control, right? Right, I remember that, like churches can't meet and singing groups can't meet and schools. I mean, like he did a whole lot of yeah, physical Cal distancing type things. You can't be together because we need physical distancing. Yeah, according to public health, um, if you will, scholars and experts, uh, California, because it had such a high number of cases that were taxing the California uh, hospital uh, system uh, so greatly, California imposed some of the more drastic 
if you will, measures uh, to deal with uh, the pandemic, okay? Now, as Nia just pointed out, um, one of the groups whose behavior was targeted by these emergency orders by uh, Governor uh, Newsom in California were religious groups, okay? They uh, were prohibited from meeting, particularly those that would have singing during their services, et cetera, et cetera. Which but, First Amendment, right? That's a that's First right. Amendment question. Yeah, so a number of these religious groups, okay, filed suit in federal court claiming that uh, the emergency orders violated the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. And in particular, they argued why were we being targeted, okay, when other groups, particularly commercial groups, were still allowed to meet if they enforced social distancing regulations? We weren't even given an opportunity to comply with social distancing. We were just ordered we cannot meet, okay? So, the lower federal courts ruled against the church's challenges, ruled in favor of uh, uh, the, the, the state of California. So the churches appealed to the Supreme Court. Like in the do. court, yeah, in the court, okay, in, in, in the churches asked for an immediate suspension of the governor's emergency orders as it applied to them. So it was an emergency order, okay? And the court, without extensive written briefs, without oral arguments, actually ruled in favor of the religious groups, okay? That's an example of the shadow docket, okay? There wasn't, if you will, an appeal where then the court had their clerks review the appeal and either make a recommendation to accept the case or reject the case. Well, and with okay. shadow docket, they don't even hear from the lawyers, do they? Um, they do hear from the lawyers, oh, okay. but it's a compressed time frame, and there's no oral arguments. No oral arguments. Oh, so the lawyers just put in briefs, written briefs. Written briefs. Okay. Then the justices voted, okay, and then issued the order, but the order did not have an explanation. Typically, the orders that emanate from the shadow docket of the Supreme Court, those in the majority never offer an explanation. Those in the dissent are usually so upset that they will write dissenting opinions, okay, but even that's not guaranteed. So we have no explanation as to why the court said to the state of California, what you did was wrong. Um, that's part of the criticism of the shadow docket. And by the way, there's a whole bunch of criticisms of the shadow docket. That's my criticism. And part of it is because um, students in the future are going to ask for the briefs, I mean, for the opinions on those cases, and we're not going to be able to give them to them. But also, one of the things that 
that I at least like about SCOTUS is that when they rule, they rule and then they explain it so that if a state wants to fix it or if a state wants to avoid having that problem of their own, then they know where the other state went wrong. They know where the other party went wrong. So they can say, aha, this is they bounced it on this purpose on this reason. So if we make sure that we do it for a different reason, then we're not just reiterating the same problem over and over. So I don't like it if they don't explain it, because then how do you know if you're breaking the rules when you do something, right? Like, Yeah, and, and again, this is much more complicated. Okay, so understand this, listeners. Most of the Supreme Court's docket is dispensed with without the court ever saying why they did something. Yeah, because they just don't take cases, right? Like, yes. if okay. I appeal, John Augenbaugh hurt my feelings, right? Official John Augenbaugh, not casual John Augenbaugh. <laughs> Official John Augenbaugh hurt my feelings in this way, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, we're not taking your case. That's their way of saying the lower court, stand, the ruling stands. Yes. We're not interested in relitigating this because it seems to be fine to us, right? We're not we're not involved. The, the courts did fine and no, he didn't and sit down and be quiet, Nia. And then I have to go away. As we discussed last summer in our summer of SCOTUS, okay? And my students learn this in my constitutional law and judicial politics classes. And it typically blows their minds, okay? Well over 99% of all appeals submitted to the Supreme Court are rejected. And the court never says why. Okay, right. so Nia, if you filed an appeal with the Supreme Court and the court says, yeah, we're not going to take the case, they're not going to go ahead and tell you why, right? Those who wanted to hear the case might go ahead and write an opinion as to why the court should have taken the case. But the justices who voted against it are like, yep, we don't want to hear it. That's well, it. And the assumption is that what you can assume from that is that the lower court's ruling was, in, they agreed with it. Or, or, as we also discussed last summer, okay, there are strategic reasons right. why the justices may not want to hear a case, right? right. Don't bring that yeah. now because it's too soon. Yeah, you know, you know, the 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 legal issue has not been you know clarified for us by the lower courts. So we're gonna you know we're gonna hold off. Or the court might go ahead and say, yeah, we're not going to take an abortion case during a presidential election year. Right. <laughs> right? Okay. right. Because we don't need even more drama. Yeah, we don't need right. to have more. You know. but, but don't they get something along the lines of 1,000, 1,200 requests and they take like 70 cases? Oh, they get over 9,000 a year. Oh, okay. That's what it is. So it's like yeah. this huge. They get I mean, this huge number and they typically only take somewhere between 70 to 80 every year. Okay. Um, so again, that's part of the shadow docket, right? Okay. The issue in regards to the shadow docket, okay, um, is that increasingly, okay, justices are using this to issue emergency orders that stop lower court proceedings from continuing right okay wait so 
the shadow docket we can think of in two separate chunks. There's the normal chunk of we're just rejecting even hearing this because we're not interested for whatever reason, reason. Which, which the court has regularly done. It's not a big thing. People expect it. Uh, of all of those cases, people know they're not going to get hurt. Like, you know, it's a needle in a haystack, right? You're not going to get hurt. But yeah, what you're talking about is that second chunk. Where the court issues emergency rulings, okay, um, that, that actually do things. And yeah, they basically stop litigation that was underway in the lower courts. Okay. Or, or, or with the example I gave uh, about the state of California during the pandemic, actually stopped the state government from continuing a practice that one group was just like, you're harming us and it's violating our constitutional rights. Okay, that's happening with more regularity. And that's where body at all were like, hey, whoa, 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 what's going on here, right? So to give you an example, Mia, okay, just, just so the listeners understand what we're actually talking about, okay? Um, I'm trying to find the name of, uh, of, of uh, the scholar. Okay. Uh, another legal scholar, uh, Stephen Vladek, okay, um, has described that basically in roughly the last five to six years, um, the Supreme Court has been receiving more emergency orders. And we saw this a lot during the Trump administration. So basically what would happen is the Trump administration would issue an executive order somebody would go to federal court and say, this executive order is violating my constitutional or legal rights. And a lower court would issue an injunction stopping the implementation of the executive order. And the Trump administration would immediately file an appeal with the Supreme Court asking the court okay, to lift the injunction, okay? According to Vladek, this happened over two dozen times during the Trump administration, okay? And typically the votes on the Supreme Court were close, six to three, five to four, and they were almost always, okay, the conservative justices Okay, um, uh, overturning the injunction, the liberal justices wanting the injunction to be maintained. And according to Vladek and other critics, okay, this is creating a dangerous, if you will, behavioral precedent for the court, okay, because these are not your garden variety, I'm appealing a lower court decision. And there's going to be the normal, you know, written briefs, oral arguments, the court's going to be deliberative, the court's going to issue a decision, the opinions will explain why the government officials behavior was or was not constitutional or, or, or legal, right? You know, what we're talking about here is you had a presidential administration that was just like, we got a bunch of lower court judges who don't like us, okay? And they're stopping 
our policy initiatives dead in their tracks. So we're gonna to go to the Supreme Court and have the Supreme Court basically go ahead and tell the lower courts, stop doing that. So the Supreme Court was acting politically, not judicially. Well, that's one of the critiques. That is one of the critiques. Well, that makes okay. me irritable. Okay. And, in and case again, you're there wondering. Are, okay. There are a number of critiques. Okay. Um, uh, the court did this uh, a handful of times during the pandemic. Um, um, you know, so again, uh, 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 policy scholars um, and those working in state governments were like, how can we go ahead and respond to a pandemic um, if Big Brother in the form of the Supreme Court is uh, looking over our shoulders and second guessing our work? Um, okay, so because I've been hanging around with you too much, <laughs> part of me would say <laughs> that that there is a legitimate um, fear in a situation like a pandemic that a tyrant could in fact squish your constitutional rights and that it would be the responsibility of the court to attempt to prevent that from happening. Yes. Right, like so I can understand while I personally do not agree with allowing churches to continue to meet because we knew that choirs and singing were, and it, not necessarily the church, but we knew that that expulsion of breath was carrying COVID. I mean, we saw it, we, we, we could track that as happening. So I understand Newsom's attempt to stop it, but I also understand the court saying, no, 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 no. The first amendment is very clear about people's right to gather. And do you have the right to prevent people from getting sick if they want to get sick because they want to be at church? Like, well, it, it, like there's, the other, that's a complicated issue, and I can understand the the well in the church's to argument, avoid tyrancy. Well, in the church's argument was, why are we being treated worse than businesses? Right. Okay. How come Walmart can be open and the church can't? I mean, you know, and and, and not for nothing, folks. Okay, as you know, many liberals and progressives throughout our country's history, okay, have remarked, okay, business interests are not necessarily protected by the con uh, the U.S. Constitution, like religion is. Right. Although businesses are people, but which okay, she but, said, but, but she again, said bitterly. <laughs> okay, but that gets into another debate, right? I mean, you know, on, on, on a political consistency argument, okay, you can't go ahead and say that, okay, the courts claiming that businesses are individuals that are protected by the Constitution, while then at the same time saying, but businesses, okay, are more important, okay, than religion, which is actually specifically enumerated in the Constitution. This right. gets... This gets complicated in a hurry, right? right? Okay, and so so, but so I understand that desire to protect the constitutional rights, but I can see where the slide into we always agree with the political party that appointed us then well, yeah, gets that, you, that, moves that, you that into the of, gray yeah. moves you into the gray area of are you really protecting? individual constitutional rights or are you putting your thumb on the scale of politics 
and there are other criticisms, okay? Um, well, anything titled shadow that involves the government automatically should be a criticism because transparency is what isn't it what sunlight is the greatest disinfectant or i can't remember which of the justices said that yeah that was all over wendell holmes um but, i mean yeah. you know if you have to do it on the sly that that should tell you something well that and that also feeds a broader cr criticism of the supreme court historically right um again listeners if you go back to um, our podcast episodes uh, from last summer, uh, summer of 2020, uh, the summer of SCOTUS. Um, the Supreme Court is probably the least transparent of the three branches of the federal government, okay? Um, with the exception of oral arguments, okay? And then the um, uh, publication of the opinions. The rest of what the, the court does is in secret. Right. Okay. Which I'm okay with how they deliberate being secret because we get the opinions, because okay. we get an actual written explanation of what happened. It's like the CIA when the CIA says we're doing some stuff and then they come back later and they say, haha, we've conquered Canada. And we're like, oh, that's what you were doing. Right. Then at least, you know, what happened. But with the docket, with the shadow docket, you don't get that. You don't get even afterwards transparency you don't get any transparency no, oh, you don't, i'm yeah, getting all fussed aren't i sorry no 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 but i mean you are tapping into a lot of the critiques okay now on the flip side you know let's be you know let's be fair and balanced here uh, <laughs> i don't want to and you can't make me actually that's not true you okay because civil discourse the instant the institutionalist in me the uh is not surprised that the Supreme Court's shadow docket has grown, okay? Um, and, um, you know, we saw this in the 1950s and 60s when some of the liberal justices of the Supreme Court used the court's, if you will, shadow docket, okay, to put a stop to government practices, whether it was segregation or the death penalty Okay, or in the case of Justice Douglas, uh, when he wanted to go ahead and protect the environment before the United States Congress even passed any environmental legislation, we just go ahead and use the shadow docket for their own purposes, right? Yeah. So, so you have to be careful if you're gonna, if you're, this is one of those instances where you like it when it's your side yeah. <laughs> that does it and you don't like it when it's the other side that does it right like it's it comes back to gerrymandering and other things that happen in politics that are very partisan which is oh no i'm fine with protecting the environment and stopping the death penalty because i'm liberal but when it's uh, upholding the muslim ban that's unacceptable no, no you don't get i mean that's I mean, not how it works that's that's yeah, because if, if, once it's, you, if it's bad in one instance, instance, it's bad in all the instances. Like it's yeah, and and, and and again, the institutionalist in me. Okay, you know, as some scholars have pointed out, the Supreme Court shadow docket has grown as the number of lower court 
federal court judges have been willing to issue nationwide injunctions stopping typically presidential and gubernatorial administration's executive orders, oh, right? Oh, can I, can I, yeah. is it because the Supreme Court feels like their toes are being stepped on? Well, I Oh, mean, no, you didn't. It's <laughs> our decision to make national, that, sit down, no, Ninth Circuit, that's <laughs> up to us. Is that yeah, right? Is is that I mean, no really? Is that part of it? Is it part of it? Is well then we're if we don't step on this, then we're not going to have jobs. Like we're not going to be. Well, not so as much relevant. that they're, they're, it, it's not so much that they're not going to have jobs or that they're not going to be relevant, but it is in regard. It is, I think, a matter of protecting their turf, right? Okay, because you basically have lower federal courts issuing injunctions stopping something across the country, right? Right. And in terms of democratic theory, remember folks, the federal courts are not democratic, okay? They are unelected, okay? So when, for instance, you gave the example of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, okay? Um, one of their judges issues a nationwide injunction. That's basically telling everybody in the country your elected representatives did something wrong and we know better. Okay. And, and according the ninth, to the, the ninth is in California, isn't it? Yeah, it covers the, ninth the on the coast. Yeah, it covers Alaska, Hawaii, Washington, Oregon, California, uh, part of um, Arizona, uh, Nevada, and I want to say part of Idaho. Okay. But it's relatively liberal in its oh it's been liberal since it was basically created okay. during the carter administration <laughs> so think about if you're from mississippi and the ninth court the ninth district makes a ruling that affects you in a very conservative state and and you're like wait what what just happened here like i could see where that would annoy the supremes who would say, no, that's not how this. This is not how it works. And oh, yeah, by the way, okay, um, you guys, in part, and, and, and I was I was having a, a conversation with a, another constitutional law scholar um, across in another part of the country. This is an example of institutions within the federal judiciary having a conversation, right? Okay. <laughs> I like having, to think of it as having a fuss. Yeah, right. They, you know, the, the, they're having a fuss. They're raising their voices at one another right now. Okay. <laughs> one of them is in the bedroom and one of them is in the bathroom and they're yelling to each other. You know, I'm sorry. I'm picturing the way the way people have arguments in their homes. Oh, well, or, I'm just or, gonna put an injunction on this thing, and I'm oh no, you're not gonna do that because then I'm gonna and yeah. Well, I mean, in the analogy I used with this other scholar was it's kind of sort of like the conversations I have with my daughter after dinner, and I'm you know cleaning up after dinner and Mackenzie wants to go ahead and do something and I tell her no and she yells at me okay 
and I yell at her, okay? <laughs> and she's in her bedroom, but I'm in actually in the kitchen, right? And she knows the only way I'm going to hear her because I got the water running and I'm starting to dishwasher is if she yells at me. So I go ahead and I yell back. And of course, I got the louder voice, okay? And then she's just like, well, why are you yelling at me? And I'm like, because I can and, you know, blah, 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 right? Okay, you know, it, it, it's... You know, and within, you know, a half hour, 40 minutes, okay, you know, we're watching one of her favorite movies on Disney, right? Okay, right. And, and we're eating popcorn. And I was going to say, fine. sharing a bowl of popcorn and hanging yeah, out. Yeah, right? Couch. Okay, everything's right. fine. But right now, we have institutions within the federal judiciary that are having a conversation, okay? And as some scholars have pointed out, the Supreme Court's response, okay, probably hasn't been the best, Nia, okay? <laughs> because I said so. Okay. What kind of rule is that? Yeah. Uh, on the other Why hand, do I have to go to bed right now? Because I said so. <laughs> on the other hand, you still have lower federal court judges that are issuing nationwide injunctions. Everybody has to go to bed right now. Okay, so- No, they uh, don't. The older okay. kids can stay up later. <laughs> Okay, and by the way, it's not just lower federal court judges appointed by Democratic presidents. Right. It also holds for lower federal court judges appointed by Republican presidents. So the week we're recording this podcast episode, um, uh, a district court judge um, uh, in Louisiana went ahead and told the Biden administration that the Biden administration suspending um, the leasing program for uh, oil and natural gas, okay, violated federal law. And almost immediately, and by the way, he issued a nationwide injunction, okay? So basically telling the Biden administration, okay, you can't suspend these leases. And the Biden administration wants to suspend the leases for environmental reasons. The Biden administration wants to go ahead and force Congress to enact, okay, some environmental laws, okay? And one of the ways you can put pressure on Congress is to go ahead and, you know, suspend a program that generates hundreds of thousands of dollars every year for the federal government's, okay, you know, revenue stream. Right. Also, also annoying the snot out of those companies who have lobbyists who are immediately going to pick up the phone and start calling their senators and their representatives saying, what the heck, get this fixed. Get this fixed, right? And again, not for nothing, this is a district court judge in Louisiana. Louisiana <laughs> processes a whole bunch of the United States petroleum, right? Right, but a whole bunch of that is extracted in... Alaska and California, California and Oklahoma, Oklahoma and Texas, okay, et cetera, et cetera, right? 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 So, so I'm making the rule for everybody. I'm making the rule for everybody, right? Um, but so now, okay, okay, I have, you know, friends, okay, environmentalists, many of whom are Democrats, liberals, who are like, that nationwide injunction that he issued is, is wrong. And I was just like, really? So where was your outrage when uh, district court judges 
during the Trump administration said that the Muslim ban executive order was also wrong because these were nationwide injunctions. Right. And, the the and guy the, in Hawaii made an injunction for the entire United States. Yeah, right. Okay. And they were like, well, but it's different. And I said, right. Yeah, it's Cause different. He, cause because it's the other side. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the shoe's on the other foot now. Right. And now you have the Supreme Court. Okay. Increasing the activity on its shadow docket, which again, Scholars across the ideological spectrum are like, you know, this isn't a good thing, Supremes, for you to be doing this, right? Okay, you know, as you pointed out, Nia, the value of the Supreme Court issuing, okay, a full-blown ruling with a whole bunch of opinions is that it explains why this, you know, why this behavior violated the Constitution or the law. If right. one of and the how purposes, to avoid that. Yes. If one of the purposes the of law is to set up behavioral norms, how do we know why this was problematic? How, how do we know in the future if you're a governor of a state? Okay, I'm not entirely sure if this emergency order is going to violate the Constitution. The Supreme Court issued this emergency ruling, you know, in the case of blah, blah, blah during COVID-19 but they didn't issue any opinions. Right. So I don't know why. what it applies to, right. Yeah, and again, that's one of the critiques, okay? These are emergency orders, so we don't know if it only applies to these particular conditions or do they apply to other conditions in the future, okay? So did the Supremes put something out on the shadow docket to comment on the Louisiana? Not yet, because okay. the Biden administration, okay, has uh, 30 days to um, appeal. So we don't know, okay? But if it's important, I wouldn't be surprised if the Biden administration says, okay, I'm appealing to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which by the way, they'll probably lose because the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is one of the most conservative in the country but then they would appeal to the United States Supreme Court, okay? So part of what it sounds like the shadow docket, the, the maybe the positive, because I'm not real sure how I feel. I, no, I'm pretty sure I don't like the shadow docket, but I don't like it because of documentation. I, I do think that in some ways the court is saying to lower courts, we've already told you, what, we've already given you guidance in this area. You don't get to nitpick us to death with things you don't like, right? Like the Muslim yes. ban got, the Muslim ban got like rewritten and then banned again. I mean, uh, then injunction again, like there was multiple injunctions with that. Even yeah, and then it went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court's vote in uh, Trump versus Hawaii was five to four. I mean, it could have gone either way, right. right? But with some of these injunctions, you see district court judges basically baiting, challenging the Supreme Court to overturn them. And I think increasingly, some of the justices on, on the Supreme Court, Nia, their attitude is, enough of this okay right. enough of this okay 
um, you know, if you we guys work together as a system or we don't. Yeah, I mean, either you don't you guys, get to make a law unto yourselves. That's right. Okay. Um, and, and again, I mean, you mentioned the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Okay. Um, there were certain appellate judges on the Ninth Circuit who said publicly, and I'm thinking of, may he rest in peace, um, uh, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals uh, 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 Judge Stephen Reinhardt. Reinhardt even said publicly, okay. Um, he was asked by a reporter, um, you don't seem to mind um, uh, uh, issuing rulings that might be overturned by the Supreme Court. And his response was, well, they can't catch them all. <laughs> well, at least he was honest. Okay. And, and I think some of the justices on the Supreme Court after a while are like, okay, we're tired of this. Okay. Um, yes, we're going to entertain, okay, this emergency appeal. And by the way, Nee, you see this, uh, uh, see the use of the shadow docket quite a bit with appeals to um, death sentences, right? Where you have somebody on a state's death row who has appealed eight, nine, ten times, okay? And finally, it goes to the Supreme Court. Okay, because their attorneys claiming yet again it violated the Eighth Amendment's prohibition on cruel and unusual punishment. And some of the justices are just like, okay, yeah, appeal denied, right? Because they're tired of it, right? They're tired of it. Okay. I mean, you know, and again well, and and probably many of them would like to see that dealt with legislatively. Oh, yeah. As opposed to court wide, like Yes. If this is cruel and unusual, then the then the laws need to change. But that's not us. That's that's the legislative branch. That's not Yeah, uh, to that point, Nia, uh, uh, a few years ago, um uh, when uh Justice Scalia was still alive and um uh I was in attendance for uh, a conversation that Scalia was having with his colleague who's still on the court, Stephen Breyer. Um, and one of the questions from the audience uh, members um, was that um, it appeared to this audience member that the Supreme Court was becoming increasingly acerbic um, in cases dealing with laws passed by Congress. Okay. And both Scalia with much more energy than Breyer, but both Scalia and, and Breyer both basically came out and said that they have grown they they were growing weary of the federal courts having to clean up okay or address issues dealt not all that well by the political branches right you know so to your point okay um you really get a sense that with some of the emergency orders on the shadow docket the supreme court is just you know, some of the justices are just like, are you serious? Okay. We're not even going to give you guys an opportunity to submit written briefs, do oral arguments, et cetera, et cetera, because what you are doing is so obviously wrong and we're tired of this, right? You know, we would prefer that you guys go ahead and address this without expecting us on the federal judiciary to clean up your mess. Mm. Okay. 
And again, this is institutions talking with one another, right? Okay. Um, and, and, and it's really semi, Semi-civil discourse. <laughs> yeah, semi-civil, right? Okay. You know, this is where if you work in a large organization, okay, um, uh, uh, your boss says, send me a memo. And you know full well that the memo probably won't be read and will right. never be acted on, right? That's boss okay. speak for I'm done with this topic now. Yeah, right. Okay. But it is problematic, right? Because again, historically, the court, okay, hears so few cases that when it does, we want the court to resolve the issue. Right. Right. We want guidance. We want guidance. And where we typically get guidance is not only the ruling in the case, but the opinions. Right. Okay. Because what is, again, the, what is the legal underpinning that explains why you believe what you believe? Because then, because I think it comes back to our entire court system is based on precedent. Right. It's based on the idea that we build on the law brick by brick. And so being able to follow the bricks down to the foundation helps you understand what to expect in future behavior of the court, which also helps for the legislative branch to write laws that are like more likely to be upheld within the judicial system right so like it helps the system work better when when the when the justices explain what they like and don't like about something or what sorry not like and don't like but what's constitutional and not constitutional because i don't think sometimes it like and constitutional are the same thing um oh no i mean frequently you see justices okay uh, uh vote in, in cases to where they are clear they didn't like the outcome, but they thought that the Constitution or the law dictated a particular ruling. Right. But That's you're... holding your nose and drinking cough medicine. I mean, it just is you have to do well, it. Yeah, sure. No doubt about it. And again, OK, the shadow docket is not transparent. OK, it right. issues, if you will, emergency orders that whose effect is temporary in many instances. Right. And if the value of precedent is that it helps establish what is or is not acceptable. Okay, again, you know, I tell my students all the time, you and I have had this conversation. One of the purposes, one of the primary purposes of law is to set up behavioral norms. Right. So that people know what is or is not acceptable behavior. But if the court's not offering an explanation, okay, Again, you know, I'm going to go back to then, inter then it's spring break in Fort Lauderdale. Anything goes, you know, it's like my interaction until the adults show up interaction with my daughter. Right. The older she gets, the more she wants to know why. <laughs> OK. And she's not one of those annoying kids like I was at her age to where I asked why, because I always asked why right. when Mackenzie asked why. She wants to understand why she can or cannot do something. Well, right? because she's also thinking in terms of, well, if I can't do that, can I do this? Like this. Yes. Right. Okay. And again, in with the court shadow docket, we're not getting that. Right. I understand why the court's doing this. Okay. 
I don't necessarily like the phenomenon, but I understand why the court's doing it. But I think the court is going to have to come to grips with the fact that many of us who rely upon the court, when I say us, I mean society generally, okay? I mean, it's not only these other governing institutions, it's the public, right? Okay. I mean, I got to admit, Nia, when, you know, during the pandemic, I saw, you know, governors in the various states issuing orders, and I, and I was wondering, you know, why is it this business, but not that business, okay, has to shut down? Exactly. Why is it, why is it this group, but not that group, okay? Um, and then, you know, with our liberty being, you know, affected, I could understand why certain groups were just like, yeah. No, we're being targeted, right? Right. We're okay. being targeted. And Newsom's response with the religious was, no, I'm shutting all churches down. Like, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, like yeah. that made it better, right? Like, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, he was trying to say, oh, I'm not picking on any one religion. And they're like, but it doesn't, but you've missed the point, which is like <laughs> you're picking on religion. Like, you're, you're picking on people who have a very specific desire, and well, you're not even giving them an opportunity. In some of the mega churches, they probably could have worked out physical distancing, and then they could have just not had the choir. They could have piped in music, right? Like, they or, could have or, done or, it or, safely. Or, or think about the debate, for instance, in our own state. Okay, where it wasn't so much religion versus commercial, okay, uh, 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 institutions. It was actual business, you know, various businesses, okay, that were like, well, wait a minute, why is that business still allowed to be open, but we're not, right? Right. How can a thousand people crowd into a Walmart, but nobody can go to a gym? Right. Like that doesn't make any sense. Gyms could say, OK, we're going to mark off the equipment such that only eight people can use this room at a time. How is yeah. that? How is that less? I'm sorry, I've mentioned Walmart twice in this, and I know I have a slight bitterness when it comes to the part of me was really upset that during the pandemic, lots of small businesses were forced to close, but the mega businesses somehow managed to keep themselves open like they were allowed to be open and you know you can't go to a stadium for a rock concert but you can go to a walmart walmart has as many people on a saturday night as a rock concert does like it yeah particularly with your smaller venues you know for exactly okay and, and and again you know part of it was what was the guidance coming from the federal government in regards to social distancing Okay, um, your you know your your large stores okay could accommodate that more, but on the other hand, you know many of the concert halls okay could go ahead and do this exactly. Okay? And, and, and again, you know for listeners, you know me and I deal with young people okay a lot, and many of them okay go to gyms. And I heard this all the time from our uh, from our students, Nia. Right? You know, why is it that my gym has to close, but you know I can go to Target and Walmart and Lowe's and Home Depot, right? Right, Home Depot. What now? I even if you're going to argue to me food during a pandemic, I I could probably be like, okay, you know what? The grocery stores, even though it frustrated me that a lot of small stores, which were also grocery 
were not able to to stay afloat during and that's also part of it is is it came down to commercial you know who could afford to stay open who could afford to go half closed but the idea that somehow you have to have home improvement <laughs> now i would i totally would understand if they said the only people allowed in lowe's right now are contractors are people for whom this is their business and they must do this business in order to survive as a company right okay well then let's make some arrangement for them to come in one at a time get their stuff and get out but john augenbaugh who decides to put a chandelier in his kitchen because he's got nothing better to do for the next three days that's a different animal entirely that but, but that was the, a but, want not a need okay but at that point nia i then go ahead and i get to go ahead and uh, uh, draw upon you know the 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 takings clause of the fifth amendment okay because this is my personal property right okay and if i want to uh, you know uh 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 uh, update and, and and improve the the value of my property okay the state not letting me go into a home depot to do that violates the takings clause of the fifth amendment i mean yeah it's a giant right? can of worms right yeah right but and can it, i can i say yeah. though as my last comment on the shadow docket yes i am not surprised that it is getting bigger because It is rare is the individual when given access to a power that says, nah, I'm good. Rare is that individual. In fact, I would say so rare as to be unicorn-like in rarity. Because we humans as natural creatures are greedy. Like that's a that's a we're we're wired to be that way in certain ways because it helps us survive right there's there's certain positiveness to greed um you know like when you come across a patch of berries eat them all because they're good for you and they taste good and it's you know whatever it's good for your health right that kind of thing but it's i've never seen a person who had enough who had a lot of power who'd be like you know let's use this only in a limited way you and I've talked about this before in other podcast episodes. One of the fundamental assumptions of the framers of the US Constitution was that those in government positions would be ambitious. They would want to expand their power, right? But not only did they predict that, we've actually seen this, okay, in regards to the evolution of two particular government positions. The office of the president at the national level and the office of governor at the state level. There is a whole bunch of literature, okay? And political science students have been taught this for decades, right? When Congress at the national level and state legislatures at the state level, okay, have granted more authority to executive branch occupants, executive branch occupants have done what, okay, with that, delegated power nia they have used that inch and taken a mile oh my goodness yes right and looked I mean, off into the horizon to say 
is that a few more miles I can take? <laughs> yeah, right. I'll, I'll be back in a little while. Excuse me. So you're just saying that the Supreme Court is jealous because I'm not saying the Supreme Court's jealous. <laughs> I'm saying that the Supreme Court's saying, okay, guys, okay, we're going to push back. Hmm. And that's part of separate but shared powers, right? Hey, we're even seeing this now, uh, Nia, in various states where state legislatures are passing laws to take back emergency power from governors. Okay, we haven't seen it in the Commonwealth of Virginia, but I've seen it in at least six states as the pandemic is wrapping up. Right? I'm I'm okay with Congress doing some of that too. There there needs to be. A, oh, hey, Congress has ceded a great deal of responsibility and power to the president over over time, and and there's never been a president who said. No, I'm good. Thanks. Y'all go ahead and take care of that. That, that. That's never happened. And it's not going to. So they're going to have to fight to rebalance all of that give and take with all of the different branches. Yeah. And, 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 and again, I don't necessarily think, I mean, I've already said it during this podcast episode, I don't like the increase in the court shadow docket. docket. On the other hand, um, the conversation that has been created, okay, between the Supreme Court and the lower courts, the Supreme Court and certain um, actors within the political branches, I think is a good thing, not a bad thing, right? It's a good thing, right? The system is actually working, right? Because we want the institutions to go ahead and say, you know, yeah, whatever, or no, we have a problem with this and this is how we're gonna push back. So what's your response? Okay. Okay. That's, that's the system working, okay? Now, I hope that the lower courts begin to rein in, okay, their desire to issue nationwide injunctions, okay? On the other hand, okay, and we've discussed this, why is it that one part of the country can get can do X because their courts have said so, but another part of the country has said, no, nah, you can't do that, okay? So, you know, again, th these are, you know, parts of a federal system, okay, and separate but shared powers, okay? And um, just because it's ugly doesn't mean it's not working. Yeah, I mean, because a lot, you know, hey, a lot of Democrat, a, a lot of democratic governing, okay, is not necessarily beautiful, right? Right. We're talking little d democratic governing. Yeah. Right. I mean, sort yeah, of I'm the not talking sausage about, being know. made, as it were. Sorry, vegetarians who listen to the podcast, but it, it's it's not a pretty process most of the time. Yes. But I can I take your point that it. I don't like it, but I take your point that it's that it shows that there's the actual work being done. Yeah, it's it, it may be necessary, you know, for this kind of, you know, you know, give and take, you know, push and pull, um, which is far better than, you know, just, you know, one government actor being able to go ahead and say, yep, I don't like it. So I'm going to do this. Really? Yeah, okay. make it make the rule for everybody. Yeah. So 
anyways. Okay. Um, I, I don't like it, but I hear your point and I appreciate it. And it makes, it makes it make more sense to me why J-Rob is letting it happen. Yeah. Because he tends to be an institutionalist and he tends to be pretty conservative. So he's letting it happen because he thinks that conversation needs to be held too. Yeah. Which means that you and J-Rob should go play golf together. And then you should come back and gossip with me about how that was. <laughs> oh, I'll call, I'll call up the, the office uh, of the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court and see if I can um, uh, 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 get on his calendar for that round of call. <laughs> okay, well, until then, we shall meet again next time. All right, Nia. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.